0: The J Talk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the J Talk Podcast. Ben Maxwell and Johnny Nickel with you. And Johnny, after last week appeared to open the title race up to as many as seven teams, a potentially pivotal weekend uh, might have just narrowed it all the way back down to three.
1: Yeah, we jumped on the bandwagon and I saw, I think, Sean Carroll had an article out there and there's a lot of Japanese outlets jumping on the seven teams with seven games to go. But yeah, I think we we can definitely say we've lost a, a couple of riders and then we might discuss as the as the show goes on um, if we've lost another couple or, or how likely their, their chances are. But yeah, I think yeah, only six games to go. It's getting very tight at the top. We've had a, another fascinating uh, match day and I, I'm really looking forward to getting into it with you.
0: Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, games played across the weekend, of course, with the, most of them on Saturday, and then uh, the uh, the three ACL clubs are given an extra day off before their matches played on Sunday. So that added pressure. Obviously, at the, both ends of the table with uh, yeah, teams in the title race and also the relegation dogfight uh, taking part in games in both days of the weekend. So, uh, yes, plenty to sink our teeth into from J1 match day 28. And, Johnny, you said on uh, last week's episode you were going to have a, a long weekend yourself. So, uh, yep, yeah, you were looking forward to getting uh, plenty of uh, J1 football watched. I know you watched uh, three games live on zone on a Saturday so that would have been a uh, an interesting and uh, well hopefully at times a relaxing day for you but then you went along to gumbaro Osaka versus Urawa on a Sunday evening and um, well a nice evening out at the football was uh, spoiled by a very very long VAR delay.
1: Yeah well it's, it's Saturday I, I usually work it's usually my busiest day so I was, was very happy to get a nice nice long lie I took to go a walk in the morning and then yeah, J-League in late afternoon and early evening and I got to see uh, a nice Kansai derby and teams from all all, all sections of, of the J1 standings. And yeah, I mean, I haven't been to a Gamba Reds home game since I think 20, 2019, so before the pandemic. And yeah, I was really looking forward to, to that one. There's a big crowd, over 30,000 there. Both sets of supporters very, very noisy. It was a bit big game atmosphere. And yeah, I was I was in the crowd and there's a there's a lot going on and I think it's going to be our, our third game on tonight. We've got got a lot to unpack in that one. So I think yeah, we should almost had Ralph on this week rather than last week, but I'm, I'm sure he's he's the happier of of he and, and myself. But I will I will do my best to to stay neutral and and you'll back me up and we'll, we'll give each player and each team the their the, the due praise and due criticism
0: yes indeed in true uh, j talk fashion yes uh, we certainly hope uh, so before we get into the action from yeah j1 match day uh, 28 of course the, the acl group stage did a kick off last midweek so the uh, the four j league clubs in action three of course of uh, the uh, the j1 powerhouses and uh, little old kofu the uh, the reigning Emperor's cup champions from J2, of course, and uh, well, mixed results, I think it's fair to say for the uh, the, the four J League teams in action, Johnny, um, but uh, it was up to uh, Kofu to fight, uh, fly the flag somewhat, and uh, yeah, of course, uh, John Steele reviewed the action from their trip to, to Melbourne City in last week's episode of Extra Time, but yeah, the three J1 clubs, they definitely had a mixed time of it, didn't they?
1: Yeah, I think if we were to break it down, probably Kawasaki, would, uh, well, the, the, the one that won, obviously away from home against Johor, who I think last year the, their group was held in Johor Stadium, so they only have to put him away once, technically. And yeah, I got the, the second half. It was a brilliant goal from Marcinho to, to give them the lead. And then the second half was a horrible, horrible game. Rolling in the ground, both sides trying to earn free kicks, shouting at the referee. Not, not good to watch. I think the only good thing from a Kawasaki perspective is, of course, Winning And they don't have much going on in, in J1, so it's something to aim for, qualification for the, the latter stages of, of the ACL. On the other hand, Marinos had a bit of a, bit of a defensive horror show home to, to Incheon United. You know, they looked good going forward, but the parts of the game I saw, it, it looked like they could score from any any set piece they had. But yeah, they are just wide open to, to uh, Incheon's counter-attacks. And yeah, conceding four goals at home to, to ACL, like n- new entrants like, like Incheon, even though they, they do come from a strong league in in the K-League, that would be be very disappointing for, for Kevin Muscat. And you know, we'll talk about talking more later. That that heaped extra pressure on him, I think, ahead of the, the weekend's games. And then the, the one game I, I actually managed to watch all of was uh, Urawa away to, um, to Wuhan. And I think, yeah, although it was 2-2, two, two, Urawa looked the, the stronger teams that threw out. They got off to a bit of a disappointing start, gave away a goal kind of uncharacteristically. Wuhan just sort of bulldozing up, up the middle and then getting the break of the ball and, and firing home. And then yeah, Reds worked their way back into it, got, got a good goal from Linson, who's been in, in great goal-scoring form, as we, we said with Ralph um, last week. And then, disappointing a silly silly free kick, uh, sorry, a silly penalty given away by, by Aki Moto, who had, I think may you have know, picked up an injury there he had to, to go off. And then you know, a fine finish by kante to, to get them level and i think well, they'll definitely find their chances in the, the return fixture against wuhan i think they had the beating of them and they'll be disappointed they only came back with a point but it, it is a point to, to start with so yeah mixed bag i know there were some questions about selections particularly kevin Muscat at, at marinos but yeah you know, i mean all in all apart from marinos i i would say that you know he. All the other teams could be reasonably happy with with, with their start. I mean how do you see things from from your perspective, Ben?
0: Yeah, I think for Kawasaki, a um, a box checked, a, a a testing away trip taken care of, and um, well, yeah, for Reds, uh, as you say, they uh, they certainly would uh, like to have the the two moments back, the the goals they conceded, but yet yeah, to come away from their uh, their trip to China with a point, I guess, is an acceptable beginning to their group stage. Yes, F. Muddy knows, though, um, obviously the, the the huge disappointment, not just in the result, but yes, the defensive performance was very much a head-scratcher and, um, yeah, definitely gives Kevin Muscat uh, food for thought, as you say, ahead of uh, the remainder of the group stage. But uh, as we'll come on to, they, they certainly answered the bell on Sunday evening and uh, held serve after uh, Kobe had done the business on Saturday night and uh, yeah, really wrapped for Kofu by all accounts, uh, by far the better team uh, away at Melbourne city and um, yeah, can consider themselves unfortunate not to have uh, come home with uh, all three points, but yeah, that sets them up uh, terrifically. I think, for yeah, what's to come in the remainder of the group stage? You, you could tell by the the number of Kofu supporters that made the trip to Melbourne that the club is determined to make the most of their experience in the ACL. And um, yeah, obviously the National Stadium's getting a, a pretty good workout these days with uh, lots of different clubs playing uh, league games at home there. And we have another example of that uh, to talk about later on in the episode from uh, from Sunday evening. But um, yeah, really looking forward to uh, to Kofu and how they get on throughout their their six group stage games and obviously listeners can uh, yeah stay tuned to uh, to J- uh, John James and uh, Mike on extra time because they'll be right across all of those uh, games I'm sure and hopefully a few wins scattered in there for Kofu as they look to make it through uh, to the knockout stages all right then so uh, match day 28 began On Saturday, with the six games, and it was up to table toppers Kobe to put the pressure on, uh, well, all of their challenges behind them, but especially uh, their nearest uh, rivals, Yokohama F. Marinos, of course, in the title race. It was uh, one of Johnny's picks of the weekend on last week's episode. It was uh, the Kansai Derby Kobe hosting Serezo Osaka. And, Johnny, they, they did it, Kobe. They have uh, they proved their mettle in a, a crunch game against opponents who were, I guess, at, uh, it looks now, hanging on in the title race by their fingernails, but um, yeah, a a very impressive performance from what I saw from the highlights. As you said earlier, you watched this game in full, so did the highlights do them justice? It looked like, uh, apart from uh, some profligate moments from uh, the likes of Yuya Osako and Hotaru Yamaguchi, um, it looked like a a pretty impressive performance overall for Kobe, capped by a terrific goal by Daiju Sasaki just before the hour to give them all three points.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that partially tells the story. I, I think it, it more that the second half, I'd say, was a hugely perfor- uh, hugely impressive uh, Kobe performance. The, the first half was, was quite interesting. obviously it's quite quite a local local derby. and you know but before kickoff it, in all the games that the captains of both teams sort of read out a, a kind of pre-written speech about uh, anti like discrimination, uh, anti-violence and uh, anti- like, posting about bad messages in SNS. But I, I don't think many of the players on either side took that to heart because they went right at it from the start and I think the first half was quite quite tetchy quite feisty there was a lot of, sort of fouling or players on the ground and having to go at the referee and you know Vissel had made a, a few changes that the, the interestingly brought in uh, Ogihara in in central midfield so they had two two Serizo, uh, old boys Ogihara and and Yamaguchi in there and uh, Ide was in the kind of left inside half and then Sasaki who you said got got the winner he was. He was down the left wing. But, you know, in the first half, when Viesel went forward, they looked a bit edgy. There There's always kind of broke down in the, the final pass for, for large parts. And, you know, Serrazo, after the, they really struggled when on the on the front foot against 10-man uh, Kashima that the previous week, they seemed far more comfortable kind of, away from home playing playing on the counter. So, I mean, although maybe uh, Vissel had more of the, the chances, more of the attacking in the, in the first half, I think Serrazo looked more comfortable and they would probably just about have been the, the more happy side going into the interval. And then I think, as you say there was a few chances in the, the second half. I think Osako he, he was really impressive. He started holding things up a bit more, bringing players into play. He, he missed a chance, put Mutu in. He, he wasted a chance. I think those were both in the, the five minutes leading up to the goal, which was... Uh, wonderful through-ball slash absolute hoof-ball, depending on which side you're on from, <laughs> yeah. from, from Hatsuse. But no no questioning the finish from, from Sasaki. And he, he's really kind of matured and come on. I think there's, there's seasons past where he would have you know, shanked that wide or hit it straight at the goalkeeper, but he, he took it really well. And then I think after that, you know, it, it was more that the tight nature of the game was more of a threat to so rather than anything Serrazo did, that they just... Serizo, again, when, when they faced a V-cell that didn't have to score, it was the same problem as with Kashima last week. They, they can't really, they don't have enough options to break through that kind of mass defence or uh, quality defence uh, at that. And that's, you know, I think, uh, honestly, for me, I said it last week, if Serizo don't win, that they're out of the title race. For, for me, I'm sorry, Serizo are out of the title race. They, they can aim for third, for sure. Um, they can give some youngsters a, a bit of a go as they did later on in, in this game with like Shibayama, and Narai, Watanabe coming on for experience but yeah, Serizou are not, not going to win the title, I'm sorry, they're going to have to look forward to the Osaka derby and then Kehan derby with Kyoto. Um, Wiesel, you know, it, we keep I keep saying, I think it was like they had to play six of the top seven, then it's like five of the top six, well Ceres are down to six, so they still got to play all the other five teams apart from, apart from themselves, although the the two ones I'm most looking forward to, Marinos and Urawa, they've got to put them both away. I mean, if if they draw them, I don't know if it's in their nature to play for a draw, then, that would put in a very strong position. But we'll obviously talk later, because the, the big, big, big slash massive game, Marinos against Kobe, is, is fast approaching on Friday. That That's really going to going to set the scene for the remaining five games. But all, all Kobe could do in this game was win, and, and win they did.
0: Indeed. So when I saw the lineups, um, Serezo's so centre-back pairing of uh, Ryosuke Shindo and uh, Koji Toriumi made me think that um, yeah, Kobe might really be able to make hay against them with, um, obviously, the, the form that Osako uh, and especially well, him and uh, and Muto have been in so far this season. So, um, I mean, the goal came with uh, Sasaki holding off uh, Ryosuke Shindo and blasting past Yang Han Bean. so. Yeah, you, you, your point's an interesting one about how comfortable were uh, Sardesca were in the first half. So uh, did their um, the, the the personnel that they had at the back? It um, uh, sounds like they coped well enough with uh, with uh, Kobe's threat. And I mean, yeah, as we said, both uh, Osako and, and Yamaguchi were off uh, yeah offline with some some shots from distance. Um, Osako in both halves, and there was one for uh, for Yamaguchi, I think, early in the the second half. Or, yeah, if he caught it absolutely perfectly, um, it might have been one of his uh, specials that we know he's capable of producing. But, I mean, it probably wasn't a hugely um, significant chance when it comes to to XG. But um, yeah, I guess, well, yeah, as we've both said, I think in a roundabout way, Kobe had the, had the job to do. They had to uh, put down a marker and uh, and go four points clear because they knew that if they didn't, F Marinos would, um, despite their ACL loss, would, would go into their game on Sunday evening with uh, with belief that they could uh, reclaim top spot. So I guess, um, yeah, not, not a vintage Kobe performance that um, has seen them you know, raw clear at times this year, but um, it, when they had to to go first and they had to hold serve, I guess they've they've done enough. And uh, in a pressure cooker, a Kansai derby, um, that's all we could really ask of them, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't in the stadium myself, just coming through on TV. There was obviously a big crowd. Set uh, had loads of fans there too, so it was a very much a big game feel to it Saturday night. And like you say, going first, so. I mean, even though they've got like big name, big game players like Osako, Muto, Yamaguchi, there's still plenty of younger players in this situation, and and a lot of players who haven't really been in the, the position of, of really challenging for a J1 title so so late on in the season. So it's understandable if the, the pressure got to to Kobe a little bit early on. And I think Cerrozo were, were very good at, at sort of playing in like playing into that with the sort of like like Tetsu or like I think Crew and Kapi Shaba are very good at sort of Making a mountain out of a molehill in a good way to sort of like draw attention away from the game for a bit, break it down, make it a bit more scrappy, and and Wiesel really struggled to to hit those straps. And you know, you mentioned to, it, and Shindo, and you know, Janic wasn't even in the squad. I'm I'm not sure why, but even when he has been in the squad, he's not. I think he's he's almost lost his place. It seems like Kogiku's trying to go for younger players. And I mean, I'll be honest, Toriyama really really surprised me. I, I thought it was a joke when he came in from Jeff, but. You know, he's 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 come on to a game and Shindo, I was a, a big fan of it at Sapporo, but you know, as, as Sam and I discussed, I think we we're talking about Takuro Kaniko, it's not always easy to make the transition away from that Misha Petrovic system to another team, but it mm. seems he's been he's been detoxed and cleansed over, over a couple of years and, and he's back to being a, a pretty solid defender. honestly the the one player I was most disappointed with Sarazo is a player I've bigged up a lot, and that's say a Kuma. Because, I mean, any time I've seen him play, he's been, been majestic, but he, he made a couple of mistakes, lost possession, gave the ball away a couple of times, and he wasn't really able to to hurt Basile in an attacking sense. So he was uh, kind of more of a disappointment for Naki on the other side to, to an extent as well. But, yeah, in in general, it's it's a scrappy first half, and I think Serrazo were quite happy to feed that fire to, to keep Basil off their game, but, you know, ultimately with the quality of players Cell have, you, you can't do that for a full 90 minutes. And, and they are going to fashion at least one, two or three decent chances to score, as they eventually did.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, there wasn't any way back for us, Cerezo, after... Uh... After the goal, as we said from Sasaki, that came just before the hour. But, um, well, they, they did fail to kill the game off Vissel obviously. So Cerezo uh, were uh, still interested right until uh, late on. That Probably their best chance of the second half came with about 15 minutes left when uh, Masaya Shibayama, who uh, Johnny's mentioned, drew a low save from uh, Daya Maikawa with a, a left-footer drive after he cut inside from the right and uh, skipped past a couple of challenges, but uh, yeah, it looks, uh, well, it looks very, very difficult from this point on for Cerezo, who were now 10 points behind Kobe uh, with a significant amount of goal difference to make up as well, but uh, yeah, it looks a bridge too far, Uh, now back-to-back losses, of course, after they had uh, surged all the way up to uh fourth did they nudge third i can't remember johnny but they were uh, yeah they were definitely in the thick of things but these two straight losses uh, appear to have um pretty much put an end to their title chances so yes we're wondering how many teams are actually left in this title race i wonder if kashima are still interested uh just a point better off Dan Cerezo after the events of a Sunday night. Now, Johnny, you mentioned the the Kansai Derby was a bit of a tetchy affair at times. Well, I think the next two games we're going to talk about definitely uh, come into that category as well at times, and uh, yes, Kashima hosted uh, Yokohama F Marinos on Sunday at the Kashima Soccer Stadium, uh, Antlers obviously looking to um, really put pressure on F Marinos and indeed maintain the, the gap that they had uh, uh, to uh, to the leaders Kobe after what they'd done on Saturday night, but um, F Marinos showed uh, some terrific character, I think it's fair to say, after uh, f- falling behind In just the 15th minute, they could have been forgiven for thinking, oh, no, here we go again after what happened to them in the ACL last uh, midweek. And, of course, they'd gone three games in J1 without a win as well before heading up to Kashima. But uh, a brace from their top scorer Anderson Lopez, and again they're thanking their lucky stars. Nothing came of those rumours uh, linking him to Saudi Arabia because his two goals here were absolutely priceless. And um, yeah, a huge character building two one away victory for F Marinos.
1: Yeah, I mean this is the this is a result of champions. This is the, the kind of scoreline that t- teams that go in and win things get. Marino's. I, I honestly thought they would lose this game. That like you, you mentioned that the results they've had both domestically and and in Asia. And then when you see Higuchi setting up uh, Suzuki for a goal within the first 15 minutes, and it really was a bit of an onslaught at the start. I think Kashima had had 10 shots in the first 25 minutes. Um, Yeah, Marino's had a couple of let-offs even before the goal, and you really felt, you know, 1-0 down away from home. Kashima have got the bit between their teeth there, the the form side. This is only going to end one way, but, you know, Marino's have, have dug deep they've they found a way to two poachers' goals from, from Anderson Lopez um and yeah they've somehow come back from from Ibaraki with with all three points and yeah Kevin mu the, the the dressing room after that game must have been absolutely bouncing for for mari you know, under so much pressure and then and coming through and, and getting it done um and yeah they've, they've opened up a real gap I mean I, I Kashima I I've still got them it I'm not officially eliminating them yet, even though they've only got one point more than Serrazo, than but it's more on the basis that, that Kobe and Marinos play each other th- this week, and so both of those teams can't win, mm. so technically a, a win for Kastner would kind of bring them a bit closer to, to either first or second, so I, I've got them in the uh, hanging on by their fingernails category, uh, I really, I think Sam Sam can, can sleep easy, I, I don't think a Daiki Uemasa coach team is going to win the league this year, but I'm not one hundred percent certain so I'm keeping them in. And yeah, Marinos, you know, that they, they live to fight another day. They've got the league leaders at home th- this week and that's given them massive amounts of confidence and you know there's no there's no midweek game, so it's it's all down to Friday. All the training, all the focus will be on Vissel on Kobe. You know, can, can they can they get the goals and also keep out that that deadly attack of Osako and, and Muto at the other end? But you know, they're going there with a the chance to overtake Kobe. Which has only been made possible by a by a fantastic um, performance and result here, and, and one of the toughest places to visit in in J1.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As we said, after going behind to a um, well, a, a phenomenal cushioned header by uh, by Yuma Suzuki from a uh, a Yuta Higuchi corner in the fifteenth minute, and yes, as you said, it was very much one way traffic in the early exchanges, and then as so often happens in well, I guess in various leagues around the world, but there's often a period in, in a J1 game where you can just sense um, one team slightly back off or the momentum start to shift and uh, and the chances start to even themselves out. And, uh, yeah, F. Marinos were able to get back on level terms 10 minutes before the break, thanks to Anderson Lopez's first goal of the game. He steered home in off the antlers keeper, Tomoki Hayakawa, from inside the six-yard box after Jan Mateus played a short corner routine and then crossed left-footed into the box. I'm not sure if Hayakawa would like uh, that chance to uh, to save from Lopez back. Obviously, a very uh, much a bang-bang play, but I think the ball did actually hit him twice. Uh, on his way into the net, so he would have been disappointed he didn't get a little bit more on it and give himself a better chance of keeping it out. But then five minutes into the second half, Jan Mateus, I guess in a in a way, was the provider again. He saw a left-footed shot saved by Hayekoa, but uh, Lopez was in the right place at the right time to volley home the rebound and give the visitors the lead. And you've got to give them an enormous amount of credit, Johnny, as hopefully we have just done in the last few minutes. But, yeah, for Antlers, they had a massive chance here to make a a real statement and to really stamp themselves in this title race. They got off to the perfect start. It goes without saying they were absolutely superb early doors and uh, and got the goal, most tellingly, that their early dominance uh, deserved. So there will be, um, I'm sure or there would have been plenty of regrets in the in the dressing room at, on the, their side of things at the end of the game that um, I guess they they maybe hadn't gotten a second goal when that early period of dominance was uh, was so clear. And then even late on, of course, they were still battling a goal behind right until the death. And wouldn't you know it, their last chance and a glorious one too fell to who else but uh, Yuma Suzuki in the third minute of stoppage time. A Shelma Doy crossing... From deep on the right, the ball making its way all the way to Suzuki at the far post. But after making a, a desperate stretch to get the ball on target, he could only steer it against the post. So it was, um, well, yeah, almost, uh, and that well, obviously nobody, no uh, team would have been more delighted than Antlers themselves than than Kobe if Suzuki had managed to steer that very late chance on target and into the net. But as it was, um, yeah, they were, I guess, left uh, frustrated at the uh, the ruthless efficiency of Anderson Lopez and uh, and the F. nose machine after a game they'll look back on and think they probably should have won.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think there might have a few VCO Kobe fans uh, threw up in their mouth at the thought of having to cheer a Yuma Suzuki goal, but they didn't have to, to do that. But uh, I, I think um, yeah, the fact that Suzuki's 13th league goal of the season and it was Higuchi's 12 assists, I think that maybe gives a, a bit of an angle into maybe the difference between these two teams because although Anderson Lopez scores is 19 goals, he's now equal with, with Osako. they get goals from a lot of other areas and they get a lot of assists. All those wingers have contributed. You mentioned that Jan's back, but you know Mizanuma and Elber and Miyaichi, that they're all chipping with goals and assists, whereas Kashima, although they do have players who can contribute, there's one player massively contributing in terms of goals and they don't really have another forward. Like, if Suzuki was to miss a few games, where would Kashima's goals come from? So similarly, like, you know, Higuchi's set plays, if you were to take that out of this Kashima team, what, what would happen? So, I think it might be a bit easier for a, a quality side like Marinos to to set up a strategy against Kashima, take these players out of the team. Like, I think Scorza did his interview in, in English before the Urawa-Kashima game, and he said directly in English, most of our meetings about this game were about Yuma-Suzuki, stop him and we can... Can stop kashima so i think you know even masa i think we're all a bit wrong about him at the start of the season he has shown extra strings to his bow that we, we didn't think he had so he's going to have to do more of that over the coming close season obviously backed by his by his front office and maybe that there's still two or three players short of a, a genuine title challenge which this game showed marinos that they've obviously they're not this is not the same marinos that we've seen in, in previous years but they they are still in there grappling and battling and, and grinding out results and they, they've got these kind of grizzled veterans who've been there and done it before and you know Anderson Lopez he, he used to be a kind of figure of fun on here with all his scuffs and sclaffs and shanks that somehow ended up in the goal but you know he's he's in the same position and he's finishing with a plum you just once he once he gets the ball there's no doubt he's going to hit the the back of the net and you know it, who else would you want if you're in J1 playing in there? It's gonna be very interesting to see him do battle with with Yuya Osako next week. Both both in great form, both both great specimens, great 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 players. So yeah, Marinos are so lucky to to have Lopez and that they've shown faith in him. But when other teams might not have looked at him, and he's he's repaid them in in buckets, hasn't he?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Jumping into moats and uh, getting up to all <laughs> sorts of uh, malaki uh, in his. Uh previous uh, stint in Sapporo of course but uh, yeah he's um yeah he's done absolutely terrifically for F Marinos, and as you say, uh, joined uh, Yuya Osako at the top of the J1 scoring charts with uh, with 19 goals after his uh, brace on Sunday night. So yeah at the end of the episode listeners we'll get Johnny's thoughts on how he thinks this uh, absolutely massive top of the table clash might go on Friday night at the Nissan Stadium. So stay tuned for that so it's as you were at the top of the table the the top 2 are separated by a just one point and as both won by the odd goal their goal difference um advantage or disadvantage is as it was as well at the start of the match day uh, so also bouncing back i guess from Somewhat of a disappointment in the ACL, as we mentioned at the start of the episode, was Urawa Reds. Of course, they uh, they were able to come from behind twice away at uh, Wuhan, and, and a 94th minute equaliser by uh, Jose Cante probably had them uh, leaving the uh, the ground in China um, on a bit of a on a bit of a buzz, as if they'd almost won the game when indeed they uh, snatched a point in second half stoppage time. But yes, they had their own challenge on their docket in J1 on Sunday night in the game that Johnny was at at the Panasonic Stadium. And I guess, Johnny, just like F. Muddy knows, um, it was a, an early test of character for Reds after, at a similar time of the game, uh, Gumba took the lead through Takashi Usami, who were caught out Shusaku Nishikawa with a, an in-swinging free kick, From the edge of the box in the 17th minute, Nishikawa seemed to get across and down well enough to make the save, but uh, the ball snuck through his attempt to parry the ball away. And uh, I'm sure the Panasonic Stadium terraces were rocking at uh, one of their favorites, if not their favorite, Usami, getting uh, the good guys off to a great start.
1: Yes, yeah, the place was absolutely jumping after that goal. And, you know, Reds fans, don't worry, I'm, I'm mostly going to be positive about you. But there's a couple of slight criticisms I have kind of leading up to that, that, that goal from a Reds perspective. First, I, I don't think it was shown in the highlights, but the, the reason for that that free kick was um, Ke, Keisuke Kurokawa. He, he left uh, Yoshio Koizumi in his in his coattails. And Koizumi, I, I don't want to pick out one player, but I'm going to have to pick out a few in this game. He had a bit of a nightmare going forward and defensively. He just didn't provide Sakai with any any cover whatsoever. And I think shortly after that he get moved into the centre and they they put um, Kaito Yasui, who we talked about last week, he moved out to the right and it, it kind of fixed the problem, but kind kind of didn't. Um, but anyway, Kurukawa was was straight in and Sakai, who had to bring him down, got a yellow card just in the edge of the box. The next point is, you know, I've seen. I know I've seen Takashi Usami score a goal against Kashiwa from a a similar position a couple of years ago. I I get that Reds might not have seen that, but it seemed in the stadium, and I'm not just saying this like after the fact, it it looked kind of obvious that Usami was thinking about shooting, but Reds had this kind of weird wall setup where they had one defender, then another behind, and then Ishikawa behind, and Usami just dinked it over the two defenders, and I I think they got in Ishikawa's way if it was to kind of rush to his defence. So... I think future. I think you'll see Reds with with stronger defensive walls. But yeah, Gamba weren't complaining at that point. It was a it's a very tough start. Reds did the better of things, and that was the first time Kurokawa had really exploited that space down the left. And yeah, off to off to a great start, an unexpected start, but, but a great one nonetheless for the home for the home fans.
0: All right then. So uh, Reds equalised just before the half hour when uh, Atsuki Ito's ball from out on the right hand touchline found uh, Jose Kante in the d and from the edge of the box his low shot deflected off shorter of fukuoka and it rolled into the net past a, a totally wrong footed masaki higashiguchi so i guess along similar lines to uh to uh, again to f marino's johnny it's uh, at a similar time of the game with uh, around half an hour played the uh, the visitors were able to um to to equalize and again was that the, was there a clear momentum shift again as the, uh, the the first half began to wear on, or did you feel this was uh, this was against the run of play? Because, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think the the chances from the highlights that I saw were as clear cut in one direction in the early exchanges uh, as much as it was up in Kashima. But uh, again, this was. Uh, a goal that uh, was, again, somewhat fortunate for Kante with the, with the deflection of Fukuoka, but um, was it something out of nothing or was it something that Reds were building towards you felt?
1: In all honesty, both goals were something out of nothing. I thought Reds were the better team until G- Gamba got, got their goal and then Gamba grew in confidence that we can hurt this Reds team, we can score against them, and this goal was, was kind of out of nothing, nothing. Well, I mean, I say nothing, I've had a go at Koizumi, but Usami, despite being my favourite player in getting the goal, his defence down the left wing was a bit of an issue. He just didn't get back in cover and that allowed Reds to advance the ball. And then they played it into Kante and, and no sooner had I processed the thought, well, Kante in the 18-yard yards, eighteen yard line, that's where it always goes from. And the ball was flying into the net. I mean, I actually did, I didn't realise till I watched the highlights it was deflected in. I know Higashiguchi was wrong-footed, but it just happened so quickly that he, he got turned and then he shot and then it obviously went in off, off Fukuoka. But yeah, one one, I mean... It was probably a a fair fair reflection of things at that time. I think Gamba had more shots in the first half. I think they outshot them seventy-four. But you know, if you Usami made the kind of mistake and they they had the space to get down their right, and then the ball quickly into Kante and he was able to turn. If you're going to give him time like that, you you can't really can't really question if he if you concede goals to a team like Udinese. So it was a bit of a bit of a shock. But I think you know there was chances at either end after that, and. Yeah, it was pr- probably probably fair enough at that point to be to be one one. Yep.
0: Yeah, all right then. So uh, in first half stoppage time, uh, Nishikawa tipped Yuki Yamamoto's shot from an angle uh, onto the bar. Then uh, early in the second half came a uh, well a remarkable sequence of events that led to an eventual twelve minutes of uh, of second half stoppage time. Johnny, an excruciating delay. That uh, finally ended with the Reds down to 10 men after Jose Kante was uh, finally sent off. So um, for someone who was there and lived to tell the tale, um, what on earth happened for, well, as I say, about 10 minutes or so uh, from early on in the second half to when Kante uh, was finally shown the red card just before the hour?
1: I'll, I'll preface this by saying that if you've just seen the highlights you might think this was like a really feisty game and players just going at it in absolute chaos it basically wasn't anything like that apart from this small section I think this small section would have fitted much better into the Visele-Serrazo game but, but it happened in this game I mean and, and also I actually had a feeling like the ball was kind of kicked up to Kante as the incident started I think he was offside but I mean obviously they can't take it back now but it seemed like Kante challenged for the ball and then Kurokawa kind of initially outfought him and I don't know if Kante's been watching the Rugby World Cup, but he decided to kind of attempt a two-handed rugby tackle. He grabbed Kurokawa's shirt and sort th- of threw him to the ground. Kurokawa didn't like that, got up and, and shoved Kante and then, uh, I'll be honest, I watched it live and I've watched it again and it's just a pilot and everyone charging in. Usami was down, I think Koizumi was down for 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 Reds and then, you know, when you thought the players had stopped then the coaches started screaming at each other. Poyatas was over and. Scores his face, people getting hauled away. Absolute pandemonium. No one around me had any idea what was what was going on. Um eventually the dust kind of settled. The ref had his finger in his, his ear. Um the players started stretching, they were t- talking to teammates and opponents. I think Koizumi was joining a little kickabout with um, with Fukuoka and Higashiguchi. They were having a bit of a chat. Um I think even Kante talked to Poyatos, obviously in the, the native Spanish. And, you know, I, obviously with the, the kind of the, the nature of this this fixture and um, i think they wanted to be as clear as possible what was happening because i know i've seen when Gamba played you, you guys fc tokyo at the, the national stadium they showed an incident on the on the big screen but i think that's not standard procedure at panasonic stadium but they, they did show um uh, kante headbutting uh usami to, to the ground i think Thomas to placate everyone in the stadium and say well this is why he's going to be red carded and, Kante knew he's, he's an experienced player. He he knew what he'd done, and yeah, you know, he was he accepted his fate. And yeah, we're talking in the, in the green room about Usami initially didn't go to shake his hand, but then did shake his hand. Um, I I didn't honestly I didn't notice that. And I think a lot of people didn't notice that in the stadium. That was more a thing that caused a, a bit of a stir in social media. But you know, the, the, the dust settled after that, and it wasn't like both teams just going at each other again. It, it settled down very very quickly. Um. Absolute madness. I'm still not 100% sure what happened. I hope that gave some enlightenment to the to the listener. But yeah, Udawa were down to to ten men. I guess at that time, you know, one one your centre forward is probably the player. You, if you had to take a player that had to get sent off, he it would be it would be him. Uh, and ultimately, as you're going on to, to to tell us, it was it was Gamba who suffered more than than Reds in the, in the wake of that.
0: Absolutely. Now I just want to make this. Um... Yeah, again, clear for, for anybody who hasn't seen it. Um, And again, I haven't seen the, the incident in full and all of the replays, but Kante slings Kurokawa to the floor. But that's obviously not the reason why he's sent off. He's sent off in the the aftermath of that when, as you say, a lot of players were flying in from all directions to remonstrate with each other. And, and Kante does land a, a clear headbutt on uh, Takashi Usami. So that is the reason why he's ultimately sent off, right?
1: Yes, I believe so. And they've announced tonight he's, he's got a 200,000 yen fine. And also he's been banned for two matches because that is the second red card of, of the season. I mean, it wasn't the strongest headbutt you've, you'll ever see, but there's a clear motion into the, the face of Usami. and Usami went down and, yeah, Kante's Kant long enough in the tooth to know that that's a red card, I'm afraid. As good a player as he is and as much as I like him as a player, he, he had to go, I'm afraid.
0: Right, right. And in the uh, the aftermath of it at the the, the same uh, basically, at the same time, the red card for Kante was brandished. Uh, the referee also booked uh, Gamba players Usami and Kurokawa. But uh, yes, it was a Kante who had to go. And that, as you say, Johnny, meant that Gamba uh, were playing against 10 men for the last half hour of the 90. And as I mentioned, the 12 minutes of, of second half stoppage time. But as we've seen in recent weeks in um, in numerous J1 games, yes, having the man advantage... Um, for some quirky reason, it seems to uh, benefit the, uh, the the team who has to dig in with only 10 men. And um, Mathis Scorja, he was hot under the collar after a, a bit of a shouting match with Danny Poyatos, but he was able to steady himself and prove that he has... The Midas touch because shortly after Kante was sent off he uh, shuffled his pack by bringing on Toshiki Takahashi and Brian Linsen and um, both subs scored to ultimately give Reds their famous 3-1 victory. First in the 68th minute uh, Atsuki Ito crossed uh, again from the right and uh, Takahashi powered home a header. For 2-1, and then after Gumbo was sloppy in possession, Kaito Yasui slipped a pass through for Linsen, who drove home in off uh, Higashiguchi's right-hand post in the 85th minute, as uh, Johnny said earlier, to continue his uh, rich vein of goal-scoring form from uh, recent uh, Levain Cup and uh, ACL exploits. So we want to give Reds their their due and their credit, Johnny, for for digging this result out and keeping themselves uh, well not only in the title race but now they're the most likely challengers to the top two. But from a Gumba perspective, before we move on and give Reds their their praise, you must have left the ground just feeling really flat after uh, what looked like a, a massive opportunity. To send everybody home happy, everybody home happy. the uh, the fact that uh, Gumba weren't able to do more against an opponent uh, down to 10 men, even one that boasts the best defence in the league, will have left you uh, hugely frustrated, and I'm sure you'd be quite happy not to see uh, Reds for a while, as it's uh, four meetings in all competitions this season, and um, yes, they've beaten you on all four occasions.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think a bit like, like FC Tokyo with Avispa Fukuoka. We've played them three times this month and we, we've lost we've lost each time to them. So, yeah, i happily wait till next season before we play Urawa again. I mean, the, the the trouble really started just at the end of the first half. I think Joana Lano went off with a, a leg muscle injury. Yeah. I, I'm a bit worried it might be, that could be curtains for his season. We'll, we'll need to wait and see. But Gamba really lost a bit of impetus after that because he's been playing in the more central role just off Jabali in, in recent weeks. and. Sammy was on the left and Mesh, you know, who was was pretty decent, was was on the right. But you know, make no mistake, if Gamba eleven versus eleven, if Gamba had drawn this game, it would have been a decent result. I think Poyatas would have been very happy with the way the things were were going, minus that the goal conceded up to the point of the the red card. But I mean, it really does highlight why Reds are in the title race and why Gamba are floundering, nowhere near it, because you know. Gamba were facing, they were coming into this game expecting a hard game, they were getting a hard game, they knew how Reds were going to play, but then suddenly they're shifted, a bit, a bit like Serra's of the previous week, they're shifted into the position where we have to completely take the game to this team, who's just going to sit in the back foot and try and pick us off, and they sort of went into 2-0 down away from home mode, which they've got caught out again and again, like charging up, losing the ball and, and being, being caught out. Reds, you know, scores a master stroke in Linton and, and Takahashi, and to their credit, they did not panic. They, they knew the red card was coming, but the players, you could see, they were ready for it. They were, when the, the, the red card came, they didn't react. They went all over the place. They, they sat there. They had a job to do. If they hadn't won this game, it would be very, very difficult to consider them uh, genuine title contenders, but they, they, you know, they defended resolutely. and. You know, obviously I'm a Gamba supporter, but I think Toshiki Takahashi, he was one of the players who so he really, really impressed me last year in J2, and I was actually a bit surprised he's not been made more of an impact there early on with Reds. Red. I know it's very difficult to to step up from Kumamoto to to Urawa quickly, but you know that's the first time I'd see him in the flesh. He's he's tall, he's got the physique, he's got the pace, he's got everything about him, and you know uh, Ito's second assist of the game, brilliant cross. What a header, what a way to get your first J1 goal. From a Gamba perspective, and again, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to pick out a certain player again. It's Shota Fukuoka, who regular listeners will know I've picked it a couple of times before. He, he's obviously the kind of defender that Poyatas wants. He's just not at the, the level. He's a, he's a lovely guy. He's always making jokes, and I feel sorry for having to go at him. But you know, he charges out in, into the the Reds' half, and Linson just does him, and then the ball is past him. And Gamba are short in defence, and, and Ito and Takahashi make them pay. And again, In Gamba are, are more ragged. Uh, they got on Kwon chung won and moved Fukuoka to to right back. Um, they, they give the ball away, and you know full credit to Linsen because the fact he scores, I think, makes this chance look a bit easy. Or not easy, but easier than it was. But this was this was not an easy chance. This is the kind of chance that a lot of people would put wide, or they'd hit it straight at Higashiguchi, but he uses every inch of the goal and smacks it in off the post and. You know, like we said with Ralph, you know, he he's not been done much for for a lot of his Reds career, but you know he, he's got goals in the Van Cup, he's got goals in J1, he's got goals in the ACL. He's he's really coming good, and they're going to need him for the next couple of games when when Kante's out. But yeah, you know, Reds that they their fans they, they travelled in, in big numbers, or a big noisy lot, and you know the, the place was absolutely jumping down down their end, where it was more of a kind of funeral uh, atmosphere in the, the the Gamba end and. You know, I, I just want to say actually, because I've been a bit critical about about Reds, but just something maybe a, more, more positive. Like when I was going home, there was a lot of Reds fans going to the station, a lot of Reds fans in the trains, and Reds fans, you know, rightly or wrongly, they do have a bit of a reputation for for things you know that they've done in, in recent years and and going back. But all the fans I saw that are in those areas, absolute credit credit to their club, are very well behaved. So yeah, you know, it's unfortunate that sometimes the minority can give the Kind of bad impression of, of the majority but I think the majority of Reds fans are just like you and I and everyone listening that just wants to enjoy football and, and have uh, have a good time and yeah I'm a Gamba fan so it's, sadly for me Reds, Reds had a good time but you know it's it's onwards and upwards for them that, that for them that the dream result this week uh, I'm sorry to keep coming back to this Kobe Marinos game but it is such a big game but if that were to be a draw and Urawa have, have Yokohama FC up next, and they are right in the title race, right in good form. They're getting goals from places. They've got that solid defence, but well, why why can't they challenge for first place?
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's uh it's there for them if they're if they're good enough. Uh, yeah, I don't think either. Uh, well, obviously they both can't be perfect. The, the current top two, as you say. They're playing each other this Friday, and then both do still have uh, difficult games on their slate. So, it's uh, yeah, it's up to Reds to take advantage when they can and keep putting the pressure on and, yeah, to to, uh, to initially come from behind and then, yeah, go ahead and take all three points after, uh, yeah, scoring two goals while they're down to 10 men is a, uh, a huge, again, character-building result for them, and it makes them, as we said, the, the most likely challengers now. Uh, with um, yeah six games left in the J1 season, just like F Marino's uh, Reds will have ACL commitments to uh, to deal with to slash distract them in the uh, the remainder of the, uh, the the J1 season. But yeah, a uh, an outstanding result away at Gamba on Sunday night. So it's interesting, Johnny. You said you weren't going to completely rule Kashima out of the title race despite their loss to F Muddy Um So, yeah, they're nine points off top spot. And I can see where you're coming from there. But I tell you what, I'm ready to put a line through Nagoya, who are a point uh, better off than Antlers and obviously a position higher in the standings after uh, Grampus are now five without a win in the league. Their uh, one all draw at, at home against Sapporo on, uh, on Saturday was, uh, yes, the latest example of uh, well an opportunity missed and um yeah just gives me little to no confidence that this side will be able to turn things around in the uh, the remaining 6 games and um yeah, properly get themselves involved in the in the top two. It was left to Mitch Langerak to make a couple of uh, big saves in the first half to keep this game at nil nil heading into the interval. First, he denied Siosi Ogashiwa from close range in the 25th minute after the uh, the speedy Whippet uh, raced all the way down the left hand side and bore in on Langerak. A terrific low save with his uh, left hand by the Aussie stopper, who then denied Yuki Kobayashi's drive from the edge of the box with a low uh, dive to his right uh, 10 minutes before the break, as was said, to keep it scoreless at the interval. And then, uh, well, Grampus took advantage of, um, yeah, Langerak keeping the game scoreless in the first half by going ahead Five minutes after the break when Kasper Yunka touched uh, a long ball forward past Sapporo defender Toya Nakamura and uh, raced in on Shunta goal before returning on the breaks and then placing a, a neat finish over the prone keeper for 1-0 in previous years he would have really backed Nagoya in to um yeah to sit on their lead and and have enough about them to protect it but um, yeah there was nothing that Langerak could do about Sapporo's 66th minute equalizer when uh, Daiki Suga drove low across the box after a build up involving Superchock Ogashiwa and Yuya Asano and uh, Kobayashi turned in from uh, dead in front from about three yards out. And uh, that was it for Grampus's lead. And for, as far as I'm concerned, Johnny, that's it for their title chances. I know this is a league of momentum. So if they go and win uh, on the weekend, well, yeah, who's to say they won't go on and win their final six? I don't know. And I could very much uh, end up with egg on my face. But at, as things stand at the moment, I just simply can't see it from Grampus.
1: Nagoya are they're only in my title race because they're a point above Kashima, and in my my mind I can't have faith in the title race in fourth, not. But I I basically agree with you because this this was this was turgid dross from from Nagoya from from almost from start to finish, just hoofing the ball up ho- hopefully for for Junker to run onto. I, I think when you call are a whip it, I, I think. But both of these teams were were a bit guilty of treating the the central attackers like they were greyhounds, just kind of. Whacking it up. Like, I know I know Agushiba is very fast, but I think support were a bit over the top in how how far ahead of them they played the ball. And Nagoya, yeah, they're just whacking it up to Yunkurin in acres of space with only uh, supporter defenders around them. It worked one time in the 50th minute because they were up against the Misha Petrovic organised defence that some reason everyone had gone up for a corner, and then Nakatani just whacked it clear. And and Junker, as you say went in and scored, but this was just unimpressive, unimaginative stuff from Nagoya. It's like. I can't believe a, a team with so many talented attackers could play in such a way. I mean, I, I forgot Morishima was, was playing. And, you know, they, they brought on, I think, uh, Kensuke Nagai came on and uh, uh, Ryuga Kida. And then a, a young player, actually, Ken Masui from, from Kansai Gakuen University, he, he'll join full-time next year. And the, the fact that I, I, I found it positive to say they added a bit of impetus and energy and excitement as some sort of positive characteristic compared to their teammates, is, I think really really quite telling, yeah. It's it's not, not good from Nagoya. That they're fourth, but they're only I think they're only three points above eighth where they finished last year. And yeah, you're right, Ben. If if they continue these kind of performances, that's where they're they're gonna end up. Um yeah, Sapor, there was a a couple of shoots of recovery after their the recent poor run. And and they're themselves they're only three points from, from their usual spot of tenth. But yeah, this was was fairly uninspiring stuff. You know Langarak as you say kept kept Nagoya in it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Kenta Hasegawa's got a, a lot to do, and I, I'm I'm wondering how how Nagoya fans are feeling because obviously Kenta Hasegawa has managed both of our our um our clubs in the past, and although maybe initially meeting meeting with some success, it, it kind of faded away, and, and towards the end, you know, I think fans were, were quite happy for him to to move on. Do you think is there any chance this might be his final season in Nagoya, or do you think he's he's done too much this season? Am I am I completely jumping the gun?
0: mm not necessarily i mean i oh, they obviously do have uh, very high ambitions um the club as a whole so yeah we they'll definitely have to assess whether he's uh, the the right man to maybe yeah, help them reach their their lofty goals uh, i think we would possibly argue that yeah, he might not be. If he's not going to do it in his first couple of years in charge, as you say, results tend to be good in early returns. And, I mean, obviously, both of us, as I think we said last week, it wasn't about Nagoya specifically. But, yes, we would bite, uh, bite uh, I think it was hands off for, to to be fourth in the table with six games to play with the way uh, our teams have gone so far this season. But, yes, overall, um, and when you consider that they've uh, they've really struggled – Yeah, in the last couple of months. And, I mean, yeah, you had the stat last week. Was it 10 points, 11 points from 10 games or something like that? It's, uh... It's
1: it's, it's up 1 to 12 now because it's it's been updated. But if they don't win next week, then it falls significantly because that takes a win out of the equation.
0: Sure, sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh... It's ended up being a, a really, I think, a difficult watch for for Nagoya supporters this season, where it obviously promised so much in the first few months, and yet whether they're well, they're obviously not mathematically out of contention yet, and whether they can make us both look silly in the next month or or so, and and properly um, get themselves involved at the the pointy end of the table again, we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, on recent returns, it's very hard to see, and yeah, another frustrating match day for the, uh, the Grampus supporters as they saw their side fail to hang on to this lead against Sapporo, and um, yes, that sound, you might be able to hear it in the background, listeners, um, I'm officially pouring one out for uh, Sanfrecce Hiroshima's title chances, because after they had uh, worked their way back in, Johnny officially put them back in the title race on the last week's episode of J Talk. I think we can both agree that um, Saturday's uh, 1-0 loss away at Kyoto has eliminated the three arrows from any chance they had as outside and as slim as it was uh, of uh, of them Uh, reaching the promised land this season in J1. So, yes, that's – yes, J-Pred's up and down the land, officially uh, blown up into smithereens. Uh, But it shouldn't – yeah, we shouldn't all be about Hiroshima, should it, Johnny? Because uh, Kyoto were, uh, from what I saw on the highlights, terrific value for their win overall, a a rasper from the edge of the box – by Yuta Toyokawa one of their all-action heroes uh, in the 52nd minute proved to be the difference between the two teams in a game where Hiroshima's finishing problems returned at the worst possible time
1: yeah I, th- I think I think I've apologized to Yuta Toyokawa before in this this pod but I think I probably owe another apology because yeah I just did not see how he was ever at Osaka in the past but since going to Kyoto he's had a bit of a rocky start but uh, this season he's really come into his own he's got He's got six goals. He usually plays down the right, but I've seen him play in the centre and in the left later in games. Chou likes to to change things up, and it's a, it's a fantastic finish. He can score all kinds of goals. He's the kind of player you never get a minute's rest against. I, I think if you're a defender, you'd hate to play against this. And, you know, Tam uh, in this game, I think Sho Sasaki was out suspended, and young uh, Yamasaki, he, he's away with Japan under 22. So they had Shunki Higashi there up against Toyokawa. That was a big fill up for, for Kyoto. Yeah. Um, so th- I was looking at the, their their history and, you know, they're only three points off 10th place now. And I think t- 2002 seemed to be the, the highlight of their, their history. They finished fifth in J1 and they won the Emperor's Cup that year. But but since then, 12th in the year 2009 is the best they've done. So they've got that carrot hanging in front of them. And with, you know, with Harrah's been in good form and Toyokawa's in good form, Patrick's getting goals off the bench. Defence is a bit uh, up and down, but I think there's plenty of players like in, in midfield that, that, that can help them to get results in the coming games. So they've got a big target ahead of them. Sam Frecci, yeah, I, I put them in the title race and they, they let me down. They, they made some puzzling changes. Marcos Junior was in the bench. They moved Midsta forward into that that position, and um, but I mean still they um, Midsta Cato Pieros is at that front three with with Nodsta and um, Kawamura behind them. Yeah, had Chichi Nakano, who played so well last week as well. So why, again, we're asking with Nagoya, why a team with such so, so many like, good quality attacking players? Why they didn't function? Why they were, again, reduced to having lots of shots, but lots of low quality, like half-chance shots, while allowing the, the opposition two or three big chances of their own? It's all questions for Shiba. Yeah, he, he had a brilliant first season once he, he came into Japan. This year, he's found it going a bit a bit tougher. With with no midster and then midster is playing in this game, so you know put plenty of work for San Fritchie. They've got exciting times ahead next season with the the new stadium and they've got some good players, some good young talent there. But you know there's there's a lot of work to be done in the the training ground and then over the the close season to get them into to, to people's J Preds again for next season. I think.
0: Yeah, and a, a really um, yeah, they will have returned home. Um, yeah, really, really deflated. I think after they'd done so much hard work in the, the last month or so, hadn't they, to 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 get themselves back into contention, and with um, yeah, a couple of uh, huge games on the slate at the, as we previewed last week with uh, yeah, teams in the top six playing each other, and well, I don't know whether they had um, started looking ahead to some uh, more, uh, in inverted commas, difficult-looking fixtures to come in the, the weeks ahead, and maybe Skibber has started managing his squad around some of those more challenging-looking games on paper. But, yes, you, you can't afford to look past your next opponent in J1, can you, Johnny? And, um, yeah, Kyoto have... Have proven that, and uh, Hiroshima have slipped up on that particular banana skin, and uh, yes, that is officially that for uh, for Sun title chances. It's a it's a real shame, but again, it's a, it's real credit to, to Kyoto, and they um yeah they sent their home fans happy, uh, delirious. In fact, I'm sure with uh, yeah a a tenth win of the season, and um, yeah Toyokawa uh, was able to celebrate his goal, and as it turned out to be the winner. And, uh, well, look at this. Fukuoka have now drawn level on points with Hiroshima. And, um, well, they could rise as high as fifth in the table, you know. and Well, I think goal difference, um, as it stands, will probably rule them out of uh, going all the way up to fourth uh, in uh, match day 29, but uh, yeah, Fukuoka are, uh, well, they haven't been on the climb because they've been eighth for a long time and the best of the rest, but they might be about to crash the top six party in uh, in the coming weeks after uh, they played spoilers for Kashiwa Resol as we work our way into the relegation dogfight, listeners, it was uh, as you were at the top of the table, of course, as we mentioned, with both Kobe and F. Marinos both winning by the odd goal. Uh, it was the same in the bottom three. All, all three of our dogfight combatants lost by two clear goals, and that meant that it's uh, very much as you were down in the relegation dogfight. So in the two games played on Saturday night, our, uh, yes, our combatants, or on Saturday, rather, our combatants both fell by three goals to one. For Reysol, they took a, a lead lead in the early going when uh, Diego headed in Mateus Savio's corner, but uh, Fukuoka turned the game on its head early in the second half with a quick-fire brace from uh, wing wizard Kazuya Kono, two superbly taken goals within two minutes of each other, and they made it three in 11 minutes when uh, Takeshi Kanamori robbed Tomoya Inukai in the box and uh, then slipped a neat finish past Kenta Matsumoto, while in uh, Niigata in the early game on Saturday, well, yeah, we mentioned Yokohama FC shooting themselves in the foot with the the second goal they conceded last week, Johnny, well, the Kengo Nagai's weird flap at uh, Shunsuke Mito's sixth-minute shot that allowed uh, hosts Albert X to take the lead was another pretty dreadful example.
1: Yeah, this, this was a game I watched I watched in full. I think Yokohama have seen a, a decent start. I think Ruri Yamashita, he, he got in behind him and there was slight claims for a penalty or maybe he, he could have done better. But then the bam down the other end and, and Mito's got the ball. And he, and he got his first shot. He goes past Nduka Boniface like he's not there. And, you know, I watched it several times live and then had to watch the replay again. I'm not quite sure what, what happened, but, yeah, ho- horrible mistake by Nagai at the, the worst possible time. And, you know, to, to to take take the um, spotlight off Nagai for a little bit. Mito, after his goal against Gamba last week, he he was obviously full of confidence. I think at early doors, especially everything good, um, everything good. Nigata did went down that left hand side, went down through through Mito, and you know he, he's someone if you, if you want to keep an eye on a player maybe in the, the middle of the league, someone who's maybe going to move up in, in J1 or move to Europe soon, potentially even a future national team player. I think Mito's Mito's the one you want to watch. And the guy will definitely not want to watch that, that goal again.
0: No, absolutely. But uh, this time, Yokohama FC were back in the game by the 25th minute when uh, Yuri Lala uh, glanced in a header from Kotaro Hayashi's cross at uh, Ryosuke Kojima's near post. Again, the goalkeeping can be called into question there. But uh, Nigata defender Taiki Watanabe headed in a corner just past the hour to put Nigata. Back in front, uh, the substitute Takahiro call, wrapping up the points with a 20-yard strike in the 90th minute. So taking these two results from uh, Saturday as a a pair then, Johnny. So both uh, Kashiwa and Yokohama FC losing 3-1. Reisol after taking the lead and, uh, well, I guess Yokohama FC after conceding a, a dreadful goal at the start of the game, but then working their way back onto level terms. So... Uh, that really set the stage for for sure on Sunday night, didn't it? And uh, on the big stage, of course, at the National Stadium with a crowd of uh, over 54,000 in to uh, to watch them play prefectural rivals Kawasaki. But, um, yeah, before we get to that one, uh, Ray Sol and your camera FC, um, well, I guess they weren't to know what was going to happen on Sunday night, but uh, they uh, they will have been um, really disappointed after uh, yeah their performances on the on the Saturday. Yeah,
1: I think you know, race of Fukuoka is an interesting one because you know, obviously this season Fukuoka are way above like Kashiwa, but you know, h- historically Kashima have been a very strong team, whereas Fukuoka have not really been you know, troubling the, the upper echelons of J one too much. So it's the kind of game like if you've watched football for a long time, even if it makes logical sense that result this year, it, it doesn't feel very good and. We mentioned last last week that that Kashua had been in a six-game un, unbeaten run. Uh, I picked out uh, Tommy Inukai, who obviously, like like Sam Frecci, he he rewarded me by by messing up big time for the, the third goal. Um, you know, I, I think you know you can we can look at it now and say maybe it was a bit of a free hit for Kashua, but if you think about it, on the the other other side of the coin, you know, if they had got something from that game, they could really almost have smelled J J J1 next season. They would be so close to getting there. But as it is, that they're still pretty pretty safe, but you know, there's enough games I think left against teams that they'd fancy themselves. That not not teams like Fukuoka who are, are absolutely flying. I think they do have enough games to to get to get a, a few extra points they need. they're not quite out the woods yet, but they're they're very much close to it. Um, I, I think then the Yokohama FC. Yeah, I'm, I'm much more worried about them than I'm, I'm Kashiwa, because. You know, they were were stunned by that early goal, and then they they were rightly back in the game. It was a lovely patient build-up and then a good equaliser. And then, you know, it was quite even until that that second Niagata goal went in. Where I worry, though, for Yokohama FC is I think heads went down after that second goal. And, you know, 3-1 over the course of 90 minutes is a bit harsh on them, but they kind of fell apart towards the end. And I think Hasegawa missed a big chance at the end. It it could have been 4-1. They they had some chances towards the end, Niagata. It, it's not working at either end. The, like at least Kashiwa are quite solid defensively usually, and they, they do have a, the odd player who can goals on a consistent basis. Yokohama FC are just conceding every week, and it, there's no consistent goal scorer. It's Showito again, and they're really re- reliant on on Yamashita, um, up up just playing off off the main striker. And I did like the the look of of Hayashi, the the wing back, and, and Yuri Lara, but they're not really like attacking players, so. Yeah, uh, whether they take Nagai out and bring bring Broderson back, uh, I'm not sure, but you know they've got next game up is, is Urawa away and that they, they have historically given Urawa some some problems at times. I think they drew 0-0 in the, the home game. So, yeah, they're they've got that and then I have to mention again it is Shonan at home in round 33 and then before we talk about Shonan, I have looked at both Yokohama FC and Shonan's final final fixture Whereas Yokohama FC they they play Kashima away in, in round 34. And I don't know if you'll be at the uh, the, the Gas Stadium in the, the final day for, for Shonan's game against FC Tokyo. And uh, I'll, I'll let you weigh in, weigh in on this, but I think if it was up to me and I had to get a win in the final day of the season, I would rather do it against FC Tokyo at home than I would Kashima away. Are we in agreement on that? or
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes most definitely and I would uh, yeah I'd be straight down the bookies myself to to have money on them uh I I am planning to be there yeah if I haven't jumped off a bridge uh, in the meantime with the the way Tokyo season's gone but uh yeah that's the the one game uh, I'm always allowed out for at at this stage while the still in J1 and uh, yeah whether it'll uh, have Shonan's future on the line or not uh, obviously remains to be seen but it's uh, all signs pointing to that at the moment isn't it Johnny with the, yeah uh, these two at the bottom um, basically i think one more race all win away from uh, from proper, it properly being uh, a battle in two so uh, we'll uh, we'll wait and see uh, how the the weeks uh, to come shake out but uh, yeah those last two games are certainly uh, shaping as pivotal, no question. So, um, all right, we'll get on to it then. On a Sunday evening slash night at the National Stadium, Shonan celebrated their 30th anniversary uh, with a uh, clash against Kawasaki. So, uh, yeah, a Kanagawa derby at the Tokyo National Stadium. But, uh, yes, a a bumper crowd of over 54,000 packed in. But, unfortunately, for uh, all of the uh, Belmare hordes that uh, made it in, to central Tokyo, a frontale crashed their party. Uh, Shin Yamada's crisp first time finish across Hiroki Mawatari gave the visitors an 11th minute lead, and then the returning Lianjo Damiao, who had done uh, superbly in the build up. To the opener, made it to two-nil from the penalty spot six minutes before half-time. After a ridiculous VAR delay, finally confirmed that former Shonan man Yusuke Sagawa was upended in the box. And well, yeah, I mean Shonan, they certainly battled on in the game, Johnny. They knew obviously what their uh, relegation dogfight rivals had done on Saturday. So on a on the big occasion they uh, they could have hauled themselves off the uh, off the floor off the foot of the table with a uh, with a win indeed even a draw would have been enough but um yes unfortunately for them the the uh, the big occasion proved a little bit too much for them
1: yeah i, th- I think yeah they definitely would have fancied it in the, the, the big stadium against a frontally team who they might have thought would have been distracted by the the, the midweek game but you know as you mentioned Le- Leandro Damian he he really came to the the fore with them um, helping to set up that first goal and Yamada, he obviously likes the Kokuritsu turf because he scored a goal from from a similar position, maybe a bit a bit further out, but in that same goal for for Toyo Yokohama University last year when they won the um the Japan Universities Cup. So he's a big fan of that stadium. Mamatari again in goal, third choice goalkeeper. He, he was great last week against Sapporo, but. You know, He's third-choice goalkeeper for a reason, so they'll be hoping someone's, someone's back to replace him soon. And, yeah, I'm not sure if you, if you caught it, Ben, that the, the Damian penalty was, was retaken. Uh, Mawatari, uh, similar to my rant about the Anderson Lopez-Higashiguchi penalty a few weeks ago, Damian shimmied a little bit, and then Mawatari, he, he had moved, to, in furnace to him, but before the penalty was struck, it was... Kind of rightly re, 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 uh, awarded to be retaken, and in fairness to Damian, un, unlike Lopez, he just walked up and hammered in his second penalty. He didn't, he didn't take the Mickey by dancing even more. Um So I, I put that down for, for Sean. Sure and things that happen to you when you're at the bottom of the league, and unfortunately, it happened to them despite um, Marataris' uh, earlier stop. But I think that their their charge came a bit, a bit too little, too late. And then even when they were charging, I think Marcinho and in and had had chances to, to to make it even even more comfortable for for Kawasaki I mean the, the only positives I can say for Shonan I, I love the retro kit big fan of that retro kit uh, and also to, to again go, go, go slightly off off topic because you know I watched the highlights of this game kind of later on after I'd come home from from gamba Urawa and yeah you know, I was a bit disappointed I had a bit of a headache it was a bit bit hot and then I, I saw when the, when the teams were coming out you know I think the the uh, Shonan mascot, the the one that was going out, was um um was a little boy maybe about nine or ten. He was in a wheelchair and uh, Daiki Sugioka was, was pushing him out. But the, the little boy, he looked you know genuinely contented and really really happy to be there. And it was just something about the look in his face. I thought you know I've seen some some horrible things at football like in my time and and during the during the Gambit game things got a bit heated. But there's a nice a nice moment. Someone someone's having a good time. Someone someone's enjoying themselves and having having the time of their life. So I thought not too many positive to say about shonan but i thought that was quite a nice thing as was their kit which was, was absolutely fantastic
0: yeah seconded on the uh, the kit it was a uh it was definitely a banger and um yeah very nice words about the uh, the shonan mascot there johnny that's uh, that's absolutely terrific and i must admit to to not knowing about the uh, the twice taken penalty because i think uh DAZN japan had maybe one of their new interns make their uh, their highlights package that I saw today, it was, um, well, to, to say it was an absolute shambles, was uh, a <laughs> uh, massive understatement. And, uh, yeah, I think I'll leave that there. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately for Shonan, they weren't able to, uh, yeah, haul themselves off the, the foot of the table after uh, this uh, this game against Kawasaki, who uh, stayed ninth in the table. Uh, they stayed three points ahead of uh, FC Tokyo, who also won. In uh, match day 28, uh, they finally broke their Tosu hoodoo. Yes, pigs flew over Ajinomoto Stadium on uh, on Saturday afternoon as uh, FC Tokyo. Well, not only did they beat Tosu, but they came from two goals down to win a J1 game, which they hadn't done, I think, since the Clinton administration or something like that. I saw some stat uh, from the J-League that it had been a number of years since Tokyo had done that. Uh, Yoichi Naganuma. Uh, I should say part of my uh, J-League fantasy team that, uh, wouldn't you know, returned the highest score in the entire uh, competition this uh, this uh, week with a total of 59 points. So that's something for me to hang my hat on. Uh, Naganuma, yes, yeah, scored for me and for Tosu in the uh, the 18th minute. Um, well, yes, the, the goal was finally confirmed after a, a four-minute VAR delay. Uh, the the linesman had initially flagged Naganuma offside but uh, yes, the decision was finally overturned and uh, just past the half hour, former Tokyo man and Tagashi, who had uh, headed against the post in the early exchanges, made it to 2-0 to the visitors from the penalty spot after he was pulled down by Enrique Trevisan. But uh, 10 minutes after the break, the Tokyo fight back began when uh, Adalton glanced in a header from uh, Kashif Bangunagande cross to halve uh, Tokyo's arrears. Then uh, five minutes later, the same pair combined. Uh, This time Adalton's header hit his teammate Ryoma Watanabe, who were chested down and swept home from six yards for 2-2. And at three minutes from time, Watanabe saw a close-range shot saved by Park Ilgu, but Dakota uh, Tawaratsumida strode onto the loose ball and fired home to win it for the host. So, yes, if you were keeping score at home, it was the first win since early 2019 for Tokyo over Tosu, who had triumphed in the previous eight league meetings. But um, we're not getting ahead of ourselves in the Tokyo support. And, uh, indeed, anybody who is a, a patron of of the J Talk podcast and a member of our line group will have seen uh Rio Nakagawara's thoughts on um well on this game and yeah Tokyo as a whole at uh pretty much on the full time whistle and uh yeah Rio while happy I think that Tokyo have taken all three points wasn't especially complimentary about um the performance as a whole or where Tokyo is heading and um I absolutely uh, agree wholeheartedly with the, pretty much everything that we all said. So it's great to get that monkey off our back, Johnny. We've uh, we we actually can beat Tosu, as I said pigs did fly and um it's uh, well it's yeah, I can actually sleep at night knowing that that is a, a possibility again. But um yeah, a, again this is uh. To say it's a work in progress for for Peter Klamovsky is is a massive understatement. He's got so much to do, and I'm sure he relishes the task. But at the same time, I wonder if he (laughs) sometimes puts his head on the pillow and wonders what he's gotten himself into.
1: Yeah, it's an it's a interesting game. I think, you know, Jakub Slavik's back, back in goal for FC Tokyo. I thought he was quite poor for that that first goal, as was the assistant referee, because it looked clearly onside. And then Trevisan shouts at him when he puts his flag up, and then everyone wastes five minutes to, to confirm that, that it was, in fact, a goal. And, yeah, my, my mate came in Gashi after after missing a penalty against you know, one of his former sides last week. He obviously, I mean, big character to step up and take another one this week and that would have done him the, the world of good. And I'm sure I, I saw the, the the goals coming in and I'm sure the fans on the, the terraces would have been thinking the same. He, here we go again, losing to losing to Tosu. But it seemed like FC Tokyo kind of laid siege to the the, the Tosu goal in the first 15 minutes of the second half, got themselves level. And then, yeah, Tawara not, not picked up a, a cool, cool finish to, to make it 3-2. Uh, I was interested, actually, a couple of things because um, uh, regarding midfielders, cause I think something I saw uh, you was posting about Kego Higashi was he's suspended. He's got eight yellow cards th- this season. And I know Higashi is someone who he gets a hard time from FC Tokyo fans and he gets a hard time from opposition fans for, for very different reasons. But I was looking through pre- previous seasons, he, he, despite always, in my mind, I'm sorry, being a bit of a dirty player, he's never picked up that many yellow cards. Whereas this year, he's, he's got eight. So I was I'm wondering if that was going to maybe been taken as a sign of his game kind of slowing down and he can't really keep up to the pace that he previously could. And then the other end of the scale, um, only a year and a half after graduating high school, Kuryu Matsuki's marriage was was confirmed. I know it's an interesting thing because people always contacted me from outside Japan, like, you know, clubs confirm changes of hairstyles and marriages and births, but they won't tell you who's injured or not. But (laughs) that, that that one took me a bit by surprise and, I mean, I don't want to sound a bit cynical on the, the concept of marriage, but I've, I've got a lot of experience with young Gamba players being, being linked with moves overseas and getting married very suddenly before disappearing over because you can get a visa much more easily. So I wonder if that's a potential sign of a, of a winter move for, for Matski. So I wonder if you would any thoughts on either of those, Medjugorje, or Matsky. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I think Higashi never got that many yellow cards because he couldn't catch up with opponents to, uh, to to bring them down in the first place. So um, I don't know whether the game slowed down around him and he's uh, um, he's finally caught up with uh, opponents or not. But, yeah, I mean, he's, um, as far as I'm concerned, he's yesterday's man about six or seven years ago. But he's just, uh, I don't know, he's like a white ant that's just part of the, the fabric of the club now. And for some reason, they, they can't. Um, they can't extricate him. I think several managers that would have loved to have seen the back of him. But um, yeah, as far as Matsuki, yeah. Well, I think we, we inverted commas Tokyo supporters expected him. Uh, he would have already departed the club by now. And when Shuto Abe's uh, departure was announced, I think most of us expected that Matsuki would have, uh, would have gone first or uh, indeed in the same window. So whether his uh, his nuptials are a lead up to a, a move in the winter or not, well, yeah, I guess we'll we'll find out in uh, in the months to come. But uh, w- I think we were saying this basically from the start of the season. Tokyo supporters have to enjoy him while we've got him, and uh, yeah, hopefully that will be for a little while longer. But it does appear he is uh, is destined for a move abroad, and they've ended up with with three points, and yes, they've ended up. Uh, putting that Tosu hoodoo to rest for at least the time being and um that sent yeah the the 20,000 odd fans home from uh, from Ajinomoto Stadium happy on on Saturday afternoon. So with that, um, that's uh, all of the games from J1 Matchday 28 rounded up. Then, so uh, yeah, we'll we'll just run through what's uh, what's to come um, on this coming weekend, listeners. And of course, with the with the uh, the one elephant in the room, the clash of the top two uh, to to preview. So I tell you what, Johnny, um, I, I'm very interested in your thoughts on how that game's going to go so I'll just mention a couple of the other games at either end of the table that uh, that listeners might want to check out over the the 3 days of the weekend of course with the with the ACL clubs all in action at home on a Friday night. Uh, so you've mentioned the Urawa take on the Yokohama FC. Uh, well, on Saturday, uh, well, it's very much the last rights I think, for Nagoya's title chances when they travel to Hiroshima, whose uh, yeah, title hopes we have extinguished already on this episode. Uh, Fukuoka could rise higher in the table, as we said earlier, when they host Kashima, while, uh, yes, uh, Yokohama FC's uh, relegation rivals Shonan are away at uh, fifth place. Uh, sorry, sixth placed Serezo Osaka, and there's the the not so insignificant matter of Tokyo hosting Gamba Johnny in the only game in J1. On Sunday, but yes, uh, this weekend, all eyes will be on the Nissan Stadium on Friday night when uh, Yokohama F. Marino's host, Vissel Kobe, is the top two in J1. Uh, how do you think it might pan out?
1: V- very, very tough one. I think a, a draw for both teams is not a disaster for either because it's only what one point difference. So that would still leave leave a few games to go. I think obviously the draw is a better result for Vissel. For I think a big thing will come down to who scores first. Because if you remember in the in the the, the home game for V that they, they were 2-0 up and then Marinos came back to win 3-2 and we saw last week that Marinos can, can come from behind to, to win. I I think in this kind of game, you know, if Marinos score first, I think it's it's very tough for Viesel, especially to come back and win. I find that difficult to imagine. They could come back and draw. However, if Vicel score first, I think Marinos can still go on to win. They've got that that resolve and they've got that experience to, to go ahead and do it. It, it really is a, it's, it's basically, it's a 50-50 for me. If I was, if you were to absolutely push me to, to call, I'd say it's probably going to end up a draw or, or a narrow 2-1 two, two Mariners win. But I think for, for me, all, all results are on the table. I'm going to have to watch this game after the fact, but it's, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to it. This is, this is the biggest game this season, I think, in, in my book. What would you say, Ben? Which, which side are you on? Who who's, who's going to win this one?
0: It's a really tough one because, yeah, they'd obviously uh, – they'd both gone through a rocky patch before steadying their ships uh, this past weekend with uh, with huge victories. So uh, F Muddy Knows with, the obviously, the title credentials, not only from last year but, uh, yeah, from, from 2019 as well. And on on a stage as big as this, I would probably have them – as slight favourites, but Kobe are going to, I think, well, they're going to have to stand up and prove that they're, they're good enough and they've got the metal to, to really go the distance. And this is their ideal opportunity. They've got some absolutely outstanding players and, you know, I think we can expect them to rise to the occasion. It's just a matter of um, if they can do it for 90 minutes. And yes, if they do take the lead, if they, if they're able to, to do enough defensively to keep, the uh, the razor sharp F Marino's attack at bay. I mean, uh, a couple of key battles across the pitch, Johnny. We we know Anderson Lopez. He's fresh off a brace. Uh, it's the, obviously the clash of the the co Golden Boot leaders, and and Anderson Lopez. He just has the happy knack of being in the right place at the right time, doesn't he? Dyson might have scored so many goals like um, like Lopez has done recently for for F Marino's, where he's just he's in between the posts. And if something falls, he's always there. He's always in the right place to sweep home, to react to to something, uh, a rebound, a loose ball. Um, a slip by an opponent he's always in the in the right spot so what sort of confidence do you have in the Kobe defense as it's currently constructed to to keep him out and then maybe we can flip it on his head and ask how how if Marinos will will uh, will cope with the Osaka-Muto combination but but first and foremost I, I do worry a little bit for Kobe and um, yeah whether they can withstand uh, a razor sharp Anderson Lopez.
1: I think you're you're right to ask that question because it's not only the centre-backs, it's also the holding midfielder because Mitsuki Saito's not not there anymore. And I think if you cast back your mind back to the, the first game, it was after Saito got a yellow card that then Mariners just did that little bit of space to feed Anderson Lopez directly in the centre. It wasn't having to go through or around other players. And he just had that, that little inch and they took a mile and went and, and scored three goals. So if it's going to be o- O-Gihara, he had a, he had a pretty good game against So I thought. Against another of his, his former clubs, Marinos this week. If it's if it's him combining with Honda and Yamakawa, they are going to have to be so careful uh, up against Lopez. And you know, it seems like uh, Namte, he's kind of taken over as the main starter ahead of Nishimura in recent weeks. And also Yamane has been preferred to, to Kida in central midfield. So there are a couple of players, new players down that spine, and also Tsunoda's back in in defence. So. For marinos it's, it's hopefully a, a sort of fresher look compared to the, they've been a bit leggier, lethargic in previous weeks so yeah you're absolutely right and I, I can't imagine even a team as good as Kobe they're not going to go a full 90 minutes without like giving up at least one good good chance to, to marinos and you know Lopez like you say he's he's always there he's always gonna he's always going to take a chance so you know if you're vsa and you're thinking you're gonna win you're probably having to factor in it might have to be a two one even a three two. So I guess that takes us down the other end, doesn't it? For for how is is Osaka and, and Muto? How are they going to shape up against or what is going to be the Marinos' defence? Because it, it's been sort of chopping and changing so much with injuries. I'm imagining Matsubara will be right back and Nagato at left back, and assuming Tsunoda's still fit, it would be Tsunoda and, and Eduardo. And you know, Eduardo's always got a mistake in him, and. Uh, I mean, that's not to take anything away from me, He's a, a very good defender, but, you know, Marino's, the, the, the way they play, you know, I've seen, again, with, with Gamba, when, when Marino's were down to 10 men and just defending a lead, they're very, very good at defending, when that's all they have to do, but when they're going all-out attack and then having to defend in those transitions, I think that's where Visa are going to cause them problems, Osako's going to drag, try and drag the centre-backs into the middle and then allow the wingers to, and even the, the kind of inside halves like Ide, to, to run on and in behind. And then it's all about the, the two the two men with, with 19 goals, Anderson Lopez and Osako. Can they take their chances, and, and can the can their wingmen also supply them with the chances, and potentially even come in with a, a winning goal themselves? So I mean, would you would you go along with that, Ben? And how how do you see the, the you know, Osako and Muto shaping up against what what may or may not be the the Marino's backline on Friday?
0: well that's it yeah i mean i think kevin musket's probably got uh, Ryotaro taro um strapped up in uh, in bubble wrap at training this week so he doesn't snap in half uh, in uh, in training because he's so injury prone of course but he's uh, proven to be uh, extremely talented when he's uh, fit and available for for f madinos and uh, yeah it's uh, it's a it's a really interesting contrast at the way the two teams go about things in in attacking areas but yeah in terms of osako and Muto, they uh, yeah, they've proven their class throughout this season, and they're they're definitely going to be a stern test for well, yes, for as we assume, yeah, Sonoda and Eduardo, and um, uh, it's uh, yeah, promises to be absolutely fascinating uh, with with both teams, yeah, having uh, proven susceptible um, in defence, and yes, with with. Uh, I guess problems in midfield as well, in, in personnel wise. Um, Kobe have obviously brought in uh, Vece and uh, and Juan Mata, but uh, neither were used in the Kansai Derby uh, last weekend. So whether uh, they'll see the pitch at all on Friday night r- remains to be seen. And um, yeah, whatever whatever you can do, listeners, if you're uh, if you have a chance to get this game watched, then I would certainly suggest it. As Johnny said, it's the biggest game of the season so far. No question. The, uh, the, the top two going at it with top spot at stake. Looking forward to speaking to you again next week. And I guess, well, yeah, made the chips fall where they may on, uh, on Friday night and indeed across the J1 weekend. But yeah, we'll speak to you next week.
1: Yeah. Plenty of big games to look forward to. And I'm, I'm quietly confident that FC Tokyo Gamba can beat out Tosu, Kyoto and and Kawasaki against Niigata and not be the last game on next week. There, There might be a few goals there. And, and maybe after after to- Tokyo defeating Tosu, usually in Tokyo Gamba games, uh, it goes by the, the home team wins. So m- maybe Gamba can can, can get something, uh, a reverse voodoo or reverse jinx or something. But yeah, we'll, we'll get into that and we'll get into a, a lot of big games next, next week. So I'm looking forward to, to, to talking to you about that. And uh, I'll, I'll speak to everyone again next week. Thank you.
0: All right. Thanks again, Johnny. And uh, yes, that's it for this week's episode of the J-Talk podcast. Johnny and I would like to thank our patrons for their ongoing support on Patreon. If you'd like to get involved, please visit patreon.com slash J-Talk pod. And listeners, we'd like to thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back next week to round up J1 Match Day 29. Speak to you then. Bye for now. The J-Talk Podcast.